few doctrines are more difficult to explain than the doctrine of the Trinity. Mm. And so today on Life Talks, we're going to attempt the difficult, and we're going to talk about the Trinity as we continue right. our doctrinal series. The Council of Ben and Dan. There we go. <laughs> well, Ben, when I was a kid in Sunday school, mm-hmm. I remember just like it was yesterday. Mm-hmm. My Sunday school teacher came in to teach us about the Trinity. Oh, boy. And he brought in a hard-boiled egg. Oh, no. And he said the here's Holy Spirit. Here's, here's at an early age in Dan's <laughs> well, life. if that wasn't as bad, if that didn't get me off on the heretical yeah. route, because he said, you know, it's like, you know, the outside is God the Father, the white is God the Son, <laughs> and the yoke is God the Holy Spirit. And then the oh, next man. time I was taught the Trinity by a different well-meaning, well-intentioned high school teacher, they brought in water. And ice. And so they said it has three forms. It has ice, it has a vapor, and it has liquid, or solid liquid and vapor. So they covered all the heresies. All the pretty much. (laughs) Oh, Patrick. Oh, Patrick. You you know that video, right? You know what what I'm referencing? Because this is totally this episode. Okay, everyone has to Google. This is an amazing three-minute cartoon that I don't know what church made. No, it's just like some church or some group. And it's these guys on this, like, hill and they meet up with i forget who and like some saint and oh and it might be saint patrick with the with it's the, saint patrick with the, with versus the these two guys the, and they're the, asking about theology and they're asking about the trinity and then he basically starts going through the messed up and they're like oh that wouldn't work that's modalism patrick <laughs> or he's like going through like they're actually the experts and saint patrick's trying to find an analogy they'll work with the trinity yes. and there's none so, rule, rule number one do not try to use an analogy with the trinity that that's a great rule there's no, there's nothing in the physical created realm which makes this an even more wonderful doctrine. Yeah. Because it defies our mm-hmm. ability to explain it which ought to be our posture before 100%. God. 100%. All right. Yeah. So where do you want to start? Well, I mean, I think it I have a number of things written down before we get into the biblical evidence of the Trinity and you already covered the first one. Don't use analogies because the whole point of these analogies is I get it. We want to give people a, an illustration to grasp something, and that's 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 really good at times. Um, Jesus used illustrations a lot, but it's really difficult to use human physical illustrations to to illustrate something that is beyond our full comprehension. Because the doctrine of the Trinity can be summarized in one statement: that God, there is one God who exists eternally as three distinct persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And God the Father is not God the Son, and God the Son is not God the Holy Spirit, and God the Holy Spirit is not God the Father, but they, the Holy Spirit is God, Jesus is God, and the Father is God. They are all fully God. They are fully God. And, and so none of them is a part of God. Right. And so the whole, <laughs> so the part of God illustration with the egg, right? The, mm-hmm. the shell and the white and the yolk. Well, that's the heresy of there's one God, but there's many parts of God, right? And then, uh, by the way, I have to excuse everyone. I sound a little sick. You sound like you're dying. <laughs> I'm sorry, but. <clears throat> so, yeah, I, I've got a little cold. And so, um, with it, Dan always smirks when I get sick because he no, just. I don't mean to, but. <laughs> just like. When you, say, you said a little cold. You sound like you're dying. I. I... <laughs> I don't, I've not felt well this week. You don't even look well. I mean, usually I tease you because, you know, but but no, you don't look well. You don't well, sound well. You, I mean, I, I I'm smell, scared to death you're going to kill I me before you get like done. I smell like this essential oils kit walking down the hallway. Have you smelled me today? 
Well, you know, frankly, I have not sniffed By you. the end of the session, we will have smelled We will have sniffed him. I just want you to know, I'm smelling myself. I smell very good right now. I smell but like lavender. I, I, I don't know what the smell is. My wife's like, put this on and this on and this on. And I'm breathing things and I'm taking things. You know the things. best smell for a cold is Vicks VapoRub. Just hey, Vicks is awesome, man. I love Vicks. Is that an essential oil? It should be. <laughs> I mean, it should definitely be on the. We digress. <laughs> Anyways... Um, God, you know, the the idea of God being one God in many parts, and so the Spirit is a part, and then the Son is a part of God, that's not the full picture. That's it's a, that's a heresy. The other illustration that you used with the water that being ice and then and then liquid and then steam or vapor, that's the heresy of modalism. That's the idea that there's one God, but he shows up at different times in a different as a different character. And so each of those have been heresies that have been completely um, discredited uh, biblically. And uh, so so when you hear people talk about, you know, when they start sharing these kinds of things, then you got to, you know, keep your antennas up. The, The reason why this doctrine of the Trinity is so important, because at the root of it is our salvation. It's, it's the nature of Jesus. And really it's the nature of Jesus that really drives this doctrine of the Trinity, because the 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 nature of Jesus is what the church argued and debated over for about 300, 300 years. Mm. And it's and, and there's all these councils that came up. Two of the most significant ones, um, the Council of Nicaea and the Council of Chalcedon, really refining this doctrine of the Trinity. But mo- most importantly, what they were doing was addressing the nature of Christ, because what you had early on in the church, you had two major heresies that that really came into the church. I would say the first 150, 200 years, it was Jesus was not fully man. And the reason why that that doctrine found credence or found some traction in the early church is because of the of the philosophy of Gnosticism that was so profound in the early years of the church. Gnosticism was this belief that um, the material world was evil. The material world was not as good as the spiritual world. Um, a lot of that, those ideas flowed out of uh, Plato and Platonic philosophy that we live in a world where the material is simply a shadow of the real or the spiritual. He used the illustration of the cave and you've seen the shadows in the cave. Um, and so therefore the material is the shadow, the real is the spiritual and so when Jesus comes and says, I'm you know, fully man, fully God, they could embrace the fully God part. What they couldn't accept was that God would himself take on matter and flesh. And so you saw that doctrine constantly being argued and debated over the first 150, 200 years. And then you had the doctrine of Jesus was fully man, we get that, but he wasn't fully God, or he was less than, of less substance than the Father that Jesus was created in. The person that really got the most traction with this doctrine was the person of Arius. Uh, we called it that this this uh, doctrinal error, error, Arianism. It's what the Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, and Christadelphians today that are very, very um, they hold to this belief that there's a even though they, that there's a distinction between God the Father and God the Son, God the God or Jesus is less than at some at, at less than the nature or substance than God the Father. And so what happened in these councils was, especially Arianism, was starting to get a lot of traction in the churches. And so they called this council, 
Um, Constantine had a lot to do with it because he had just become emperor and he wanted to make Christianity the, the official, you know, he had the Edict of Milan about 10 years earlier. And so he's like, you guys got to figure this whole thing out because I don't want to, you know, if you're a king, you don't want a divided kingdom. And so even under the political realm, he influenced this, this council. And here's the issue, Dan. Most people, when they think of the Council of Nicaea, Dan Brown does this all the time. That's when they came together and decided Jesus was God. And, and you know, before they just accepted him as a man. And now, now they added this dimension of him. Um, let, me, let me just say this. The doctrine of the Trinity and the doctrine of the deity of Jesus um, and, and the, the, these, these doctrines that we hold to today, they were not created at these councils. They were clarified and confirmed at these councils. So please know, even though there are these statements that come out and say, we believe this, it was purely to give clarification. You can go all, I mean, go back to the New Testament writings, the, mm -hmm. the eyewitnesses of Christ in the second, third, fourth generations of people that had learned from them. Their message is consistent all the way through that Jesus was fully God and fully man. And so when you have these, um, these councils coming up, please do not believe the anti-supernatural interpretation of these councils that all of a sudden they decided to come up with this idea that, well, let's, I've got a great idea. Let's make Jesus God. Th that was never created in that moment. It was confirmed and clarified in that moment because there were always doctrines coming in that were trying to usurp the true gospel. And so the nature of Christ was one of those fundamental doctrines that was always under attack for the first three, four hundred years of the church. And really the Council of Nicaea and the Council of Chalcedon were the two that really like nailed the hammer in the coffin of Christological heresies. And so we lean on these doctrine, we lean on these, these statements from the council to really say, this is what the, the true Orthodox. Now, they would use this term a lot, Catholic church, and we need to use Catholic as not a denomination, right, just universal. universal, that the true Catholic church believes in this. That That is really important for the his, historical faith of ours, that we can go back and say, when we were under attack, when heresy was coming into the church, God was able to preserve the church enough to say, when, when doctrines come up to attack it, we always can come back to the right conclusion. God always leads us to the right conclusion. So these are all the, the things you need to understand about the doctrine of Trinity um, that don't try to explain it using an illustration. It wasn't created at the Council of Nicaea. Understand that, that the nature of Jesus is really at the heart of the Trinity because that's the one that comes under attack the most. And then you've got to get that statement right. There is one God who eternally exists as three distinct persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That was a, that, that was a long It was a long was explanation, a long but I think it's important. You know, one of the things I'm always wary of when people start talking to the Trinity is, is a notion that we can explain it fully at a level where yeah. you're going to be able to walk away and say, oh, I get it now. Yeah, yeah. In fact, if you don't still walk away scratching your head after it, yeah. uh, then you probably haven't done an appropriate job. Correct. Because that's why, you know, almost always when I refer to the Trinity, I refer to it as the mystery of the Trinity. Yes. yes. Because it does remain to some extent and always should be and will be to the finiteness of human comprehension, a mystery. Yeah. It's, it's one of these doctrines that really 
ha- it forces us to think about a few things. It forces us to think about this idea that God loves unity, but he also loves community. Like, mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure if you ever heard this idea before, but um, again, this is one of these bad, bad theological errors. You know, God was just so lonely, he decided to create humankind. You know, <laughs> you know like he was he was just all alone in space and time, you know, outside of space and time being like, man, I'm, I'm kind of bored. It'd be fun to kind of create something. Mm-hmm. And no, that never existed because what you have within the Trinity is you have perfect love and communion and fellowship that is perfect in eternity past. It's not like God was bored. It's not like God was lonely. God had himself to enjoy the perfection of love and fellowship, which means that the reason why he created us was to invite us into what was already perfect and complete. And I think that changes the the dynamic of how we see God um, when we understand he does not need us. Yet in his love and in his goodness, he invite he created us to invite us into something that was already perfect and complete. And so, man, that that just changes the how I view or how we should view why God created anything in the first place. Um, but those two concepts of um you have this this community where there's relationship. God was a relational God in eternity past, and yet there's oneness. And what do you see when he creates the world? You see Adam, he creates he creates Adam, and then he creates Eve out of Adam. And then what does he say? The two shall become one. Why is God doing that? Why does he create two genders? And why does he want them to become one? Because what he's doing is he is modeling for humanity that there are going to be differences within humanity, and yet there's still oneness that is possible. Just like the there are differences, not in nature, but the differences in roles, of of the Trinity. And and that's um when we think about the differences of the Trinity, what we mean by that is the theological term is the economic Trinity. Okay. There's two big theological terms you gotta really wrap your mind around when it comes to the Trinity. The first is what we call the ontological Trinity. The ontological Trinity is the idea that God the Father is equal in substance and authority and power and all th- in nature as God the Son, and the same as God the Spirit, that there's not like a tiered system. Even when Jesus said, I submit to the Father, it was submitting for the role he was playing. It doesn't mean that he was less a lesser God or had lesser authority than the Father. And so we have to understand the ontological trinity, that there's equal in essence and nature and authority and power. But the economic trinity is this idea that each of the, each of the persons of the Godhead does something differently, okay? So there are different roles that they play. We see this throughout Scripture. We see this played out when, um, you know, a great illustration of this is read Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 14. You have all three persons of the Trinity there, but what you also have is the different works that each of the persons of the Trinity do in the work of salvation. And so knowing that it was Jesus's role to suffer and die. It was God the Father's role to to bring God's to bring the wrath and the judgment of God on God the Son. It was God 
the spirit's role to bring resurrection to the body of Jesus. So, so there's this, so there's this work of 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 God in the midst of the cross and resurrection, as much as there's the work of the Trinity that works salvation in us. And so, um, these these are all things that we you have to see and understand when it comes to the Trinity. And we're not even going to get. Let's just be honest. We're going to have to do this two episodes. Are you okay with that? Well, do I have a choice? <laughs> <laughs> I want to get into the scriptural background of the Trinity. Yeah. Because I just don't think I can get to it. No. Is no. that all right? No. And, and and again, I think this points out the complexity of this fundamental doctrine. Yeah. Is in, you know, after we get done with this episode, we're going to go back and we're going to look at the three parts of the Trinity. Yeah. Which again, every time I say the word part, it yeah. I, I want to yeah. clarify yeah. myself. Persons of the Trinity. Persons. There you go. Yeah. And, you know, because study of, of Jesus is Christology, mm-hmm. study of the Holy Spirit is pneumatology. Mm-hmm. And those those have unique characteristics and definitions yes. that are attached to them yes, as well. Exactly. So uh, you, you say, well, this is heady. Why do I need to know this? Well, because someday someone's going to knock on your door and it's going to be a Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon and you got to figure out. I mean, you better know the word. You yeah. better know why you believe in the Trinity. And it can't just be, well, my pastor told me it exists. You've got to know. It's you, but you have to be able to defend it from scripture yourself. I think that's really important, and, and I think it's important so that you know and know it, so that you can identify error. Absolutely, and and that's very very subtle. I mean, the, what's the name of the African American megachurch pastor that's basically come out and denied? Uh, well, he's a modalist. TD Jakes, yeah, TD Jakes is a modalist. Yeah, yes. but there's a lot of people with TD Jakes books on their on their yeah, shelf, yeah, and don't understand yeah. that that he holds a heretical position in yes. regard to the Trinity. Yes, yes, and 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 so it's important because just because they're on television or because you know they've preached some good sermons or they've written some books that, you know, show up at Lifeway's website does not mean that they're orthodox, Correct. particularly as it relates to this Correct. doctrine. Correct. So, well, as, as we kind of close out this episode, yeah. what are the takeaways? What are the things that, that, that you know, we need to remember yeah, I, ab- about this beginning part? I think the biggest thing is don't try to explain it to a child using illustrations. Just, okay. just say there is a mystery about God that we don't understand. Um, but the Bible makes clear that there's one God and three persons. Yeah. And even though we can't understand that um, in, a, fi- in our finite way, uh, the Bible teaches that. The Bible teaches that there is one God and one alone. The Bible is not contradicting itself in that. Um, so I think that's really important. It's important that you understand when you hear people talk about these councils that created the doctrine of the Trinity or created this idea of Jesus being God, that is not the case. Do do a little bit of homework. Do your research. Find out why these councils were so important. And um, really, at, at the the one doctrine that you're going to have to get really good at, and we can talk about, we're going to talk about this in another episode, is the being able to defend the deity of Jesus because that's the one that really holds together this doctrine. That's this is it's the one thing that gets attacked the most out of the doctrine of the truth because if you can take away the deity of Jesus, the entire idea of the Trinity falls apart. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the one thing you got to remember. Yeah. Embrace the Trinity or em- em- embrace the mi- mystery of yes. the Trinity yes. is something that we have, you know, when you embrace the mystery of the Trinity, it, it, it puts down pride and it increases humility. Yeah. The, the idea, the very notion that we can fully understand God or that God is somehow subject yeah. to our ability to comprehend is a dangerous offense to him. Yes. So he has revealed 
what we need to know when we need to know it for the reasons that he has given for us to know it. But when we make demands that we understand things fully, uh, it erases mystery, but it also creates arrogance. And so we have to be really, really mindful Mm. of this as we study theology in general and as we we explore our own relationship uh, with God and his role in the universe. So it's always been great stuff. And uh, folks, if you're listening to us again in this series, I hope you'll make sure you keep coming back as we continue to explore these uh, these uh, foundational doctrines of our faith mm. and why and how we should be using them uh, as we navigate a very, very complicated world. As always, thank you so much for joining us at Life Talks. Please share us, if you would, on your social media feeds. You can always send us questions if you want at lifetalks at lifecharlotte.com. Until next time, thanks as always for joining us here at Life Talks. You've been listening to Life Talks. Be sure to hit the subscribe button so you never miss a new episode. Share this podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to let your friends and family know about Life Talks. We'd love to hear from you as well, so leave a comment and let us know your thoughts on this episode or any other topics we've discussed. Life Talks is a ministry of Life Fellowship in Cornelius, North Carolina. For more information on Life Talks or Life Fellowship, visit lifecharlotte.com or you can find us on Facebook at Life Fellowship Charlotte.